Hey everybody, welcome back to the Self Work Podcast. Here we talk about wellness, mental health, and everything in between. Thank you for returning back. Today we have an interesting episode, but before we even get to that, I'd like you to take a minute, take a moment and subscribe to this channel because you want to know when I post, right? So I am Dr. Bundi. For those who don't know me, I'm a consultant psychiatrist and I love to create content. I create content not just for this podcast, but also on my social media platforms. And that is Dr. underscore Bundi. So today we are starting a conversation, which is going to be a series because we can't cover everything in this one episode. And that's because it's a broad topic. And this is the topic on neurodivergence. Now, this, I believe, has been a buzzword for a while now. You know, neurodivergence, neurotypical spectrum. By the end of this episode, you're going to be fluent in that language. So don't you worry. Um, but before we even begin with neurodivergence, I just want to say that if you will be watching this episode and you feel like you or your child has this particular condition, please make sure you follow this up with an assessment, all right? So let's just dive right into it. Neurodivergence, what is that? What does that mean? So first and foremost, it's not a medical term, but it's a very useful term because we've done away with words like normal. My child is normal, right? Because what really is normal? There's a little bit of stigma attached to the word normal and abnormal. So instead of that, we decided to come up with a word. Not we, I wasn't part of it. But basically, a word was formulated to show us that minds are different. There is not one mind that is considered normal and the other one abnormal. It's not very kind of black and white. So neurodivergent means that the person, the child, their brain works in a little bit of a different way. Um, neurotypical is what's considered as formerly known as normal. And so because we have this space of neurodivergent and neurotypical, the in-between is what is a spectrum, right? Because still, if you are neurodivergent, it's not that you can be described in one particular way. There are different levels of neurodivergence, and I will be explaining what that means. So when we're talking about neurodivergence, usually we focus on two conditions, and that is it, autism and ADHD. And there is a perception that autism and ADHD are childhood disorders. That is largely true. Majority of the people who have autism and ADHD uh, are children, but it can be seen in adults. It can persist to adult life. So this is, these are not new terms. There's also the misconception that neurodivergence is a new concept. Absolutely not. The first description we have of a neurodivergent person is actually in the third century BC. And this is by a philosopher who wrote in, in his book about a man called the obtuse man. And basically, I'll read because I found this extremely uh, interesting the philosopher who was called Theophratus described a character who we now look back and we think, yeah, this, this guy probably had ADHD. So he writes that when he is defendant in action and it is about to come on, he will forget it and go to the country. When he is a spectator in the theater, he will be left behind slumbering in solitude. If he has been given anything, 
and has put it away himself, he will look for it and be unable to find it. If he's cooking a leek himself in the country, he will put salt into the pot twice and make it uneatable. So this this is someone who is super forgetful, even puts, when he's cooking, salts his food twice. Anybody who's watching this and has ADHD can relate. So this, I, I mean, all through history, we have people described in a way that you can think that this person is definitely neurodivergent. So it's not a new thing we invented. It's not like a, a new disease or disorder rather, but these are things that have been there for a long, long time. Okay, so now we know what being neurodivergent is. Can we talk a little bit about what causes this neurodivergence in the first place? There are so many theories out there, but basically we kind of have to go back to the beginning of exactly what is happening when the brain is developing, what we call neurodevelopment. You know, when the brain is developing, we've got so many things. There's an interplay of a lot. Number one, genetic components. What genes are you naturally born with? What, what, what did you come with? And as we've come to see that your environment can even influence the way that your genes work, what we call epigenetics. So we have found that some people tend to be more prone to getting these um, neurodivergent conditions than others. And then we see that if there's any interruption in neurodevelopment, if there's any interruption in the development of the brain, that's how you end up getting these neurodivergent um, conditions. I mean, there are rumors about vaccines causing autism. I I'm not here to kind of dispel the rumors, but I haven't found any conclusive evidence to say that the measles vaccine causes autism. I do believe that we kind of have to look back into the years worth of uh, history and research, which clearly points that these conditions are genetic and any kind of interference with the development of the brain can cause these conditions. So before we even start blaming that the measles vaccine caused autism, you know, we kind of have to look back in your family. Is there anybody who has autism? Because sometimes people have it and it's never diagnosed, it's never given a label. But that said, it's not always genetics and there's a whole influence of the environment that comes in. So now let's just look a little bit at autism because it's really important to look at how different autism is and how different ADHD is. So one thing that I do remember when I was in medical school, there is a lecturer of mine who said that being a child who is autistic lives in his own world, in his or her own world. And that has sat with me because that's really true. Usually the first sign of an autistic child is that they're just very comfortable being in their own world, right? They just kind of don't like to speak to anybody. They don't, they're not interested in playing with other children. They're not even interested in interacting with a mother in a social kind of way. So a big, big, big part of autism is deficits in socialization. Secondly, they have deficits in communication. And this is not to say that all children who are autistic have deficits in communication. Absolutely not. As I said, it's a spectrum, autism spectrum disorder. Some children are verbal, others are non-verbal. But what we usually see is that there is a delay. There is a delay or sometimes they never become verbal. 
So communication deficits are the second hallmark sign of autism. And lastly, we've got sensory deficits, sensory deficits. And what we mean is that for some of these children with autism, they have, they kind of have problems with how they perceive the environment and what they do to compensate is other kind of overcompensatory behaviors. For example, what we call stimming. So you'll find that this child will flap their hands. Some of them will hum constantly. We can have even more serious kind of sensory compensation, like head banging uh, or plucking their skin, pinch, uh, pinching their the, themselves. So we do have these kind of sensory deficits. Another kind of sensory deficit that we see with autism is the children are sensitive to noise. Now notice I didn't say loud noises. They are sensitive to noise. Any kind of, you know, a ringtone from a phone, the child will, like for them that is too much. It's too much sensory stimulation. So sensory deficits are a big, big part of autistic children. And then we also do see emotional dysregulation. Sometimes you can see that sometimes children can get a bit irritable. And this is why sometimes autistic children will be branded by people who don't understand as the naughty children. These are the children who are always being punished. Um, you know, why are you always interrupting class? Why do you talk back? So it's not that they are bad kids. And guys, we've got to... If there is one thing that you can take from this video is that it's not that they are misbehaving. Those labels kind of need to come to. We need to stop it with the labels because they are having an emotional, an internal emotional dysregulation. So those are some of the symptoms of autism spectrum disorder and emphasis on the spectrum because not one child with autism will look like the other. They all have different, different presentations. One thing to note is that autism is more common in boys. It's definitely been uh, seen more in boys. And it actually is, is occurs in all racial and ethnic groups. So it's not as if one race is more predisposed to the other. So when it comes to the treatment guidelines of autism, and, and I'll speak about treatment guidelines together at the end, I'll combine the treatment guidelines guidelines for autism and ADHD. But let me mention that with autism, the most important thing is identifying the autism and making a, doing an assessment and making a diagnosis. Before we even talk about diet or speech therapy, it's to be able to put a label, this is what's happening to this child, this is autism. Because oftentimes these children are not diagnosed and they go through life struggling. So identifying it is a very, big, very big part of it. And once identification is done and you recognize that this is what's happening, a lot of the treatment is not aimed to cure. It's not curative because a neurodivergent brain will almost always be a neurodivergent brain. The aim and the goal is to improve in functionality, to help this child to cope in life, to be able to improve their quality of life. So those are the goals with, um, with autism. A big part of it involves educating the parents, educating the teachers so that they know how to deal with them. Because guess what? As doctors, we only see these, these um, children 
uh, only maybe once or a month or twice a month. And the people who spend most of the time with the child need to be empowered. They need to do, know what to do when the child, for example, has a meltdown. They need to know what is the best diet for the child. And speaking of diet, there is a very, very important role of identifying which foods, for example, trigger the child to be more um, symptomatic. So it's really a holistic type of care. You'll need perhaps a psychiatrist on board, a psychologist, your pediatrician, your nutritionist, a speech therapist. You kind of need a team. You'll need a team to be able to help this child and on the other side you'll need to empower the teachers the nannies and the parents so the treatment is not so much let's cure the autism but how can we make the life of this child better so i believe that we've really just come to the end of the discussion on autism but i will definitely definitely be bringing in somebody um, a guest, I don't want to share too much, but somebody who can tell us a little bit more about the spectrum. So let's move to ADHD. A mouthful. ADHD stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. It's also considered a neurodivergence. Again, not a disease really, because it's just that your mind just works differently. Um, it works differently from the other neurotypical minds. One thing to know is that ADHD and autism co-occur with each other at about a rate of 70%, meaning 70% of people with autism will have ADHD. And that's why I wanted to have this conversation together because sometimes you'll see them together and you'll see both and now you're wondering which is which. Sometimes it's both. Actually, oftentimes it's both. So with ADHD, we usually see about half the children are coming in with other issues, for example, behavior issues, conduct issues, and boys are more likely, again, similar to autism, boys are more likely to be diagnosed. One thing I want to note is that with ADHD, you can have childhood ADHD, or it can come much later in life. In fact, I'm seeing a lot of adults coming in saying that I had a pretty normal childhood but now it's like my mind something is different and then we actually diagnose them in adulthood so adulthood adhd is not getting the attention it deserves and that's why i'm here to have the conversation so let's talk symptoms how do you know if you've got adhd um how do you know if you've got adhd i want to emphasize that adhd can have hyperactive inattentive type or both. Remember the name, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. So the first part of the name, Attention Deficit, suggests the inattentive type, and then the hyperactivity part suggests the hyperactive type. So let me paint a picture of what a hyperactive child or person with ADHD looks like. Let's start with a child. The child with ADHD will almost always be talking continuously, moving continuously. They're like a little, do you remember this cartoon that was called Tasmanian Devil? Always kind of on the go. So that's, that's the picture I want you to see of a hyperactive ADHD child. They're fidgeting, they are all over the place, you know, 
and they have they almost have too much energy to burn and sometimes this can mean that they even have problems sleeping so this is a child you can't seem to put down to take a nap hyperactivity can also be in terms of talking as i said so they talk a lot they even interrupt people you you find the child is interrupting the teacher is interrupting adults as they talk and i know what you're thinking this sounds like every other child <laughs> because that's how children are children are hyper children are wild but i want to suggest that this one becomes difficult to control so you'll find in different settings the teacher is telling you we can't get the child to sit down in sunday school you know the sunday school teacher is telling you the child he can't sit down so it needs to be in several setups so that you can know that here there is a problem and then also it's not appropriate for age right so if you're you have a 10 year old who can't listen to instructions to sit and to do their homework and finish then you know that there is a problem so that's the picture of a hyperactive child and i also want to emphasize that remember they are on a spectrum so maybe a child can have one symptom they can have the the excessive talking but maybe they are not energetic so even as i paint this picture i'm not saying that they have to present with all these symptoms sometimes it can be one okay so that is the hyperactive type let's then move on to the inattentive type and i want to say that the inattentive type is very easily missed and it's very common in girls so we don't we don't it, it can often be missed because what does it look like it looks like daydreaming a child who after 5 minutes of class has checked out daydreaming doesn't seems to always forget seems disorganized is always losing things you know they come home today they've lost a sweater tomorrow they've lost shoes the other day they've lost their pencil case you know kind of thing so that's i hope you're getting the picture of what the inattentive child looks like and as they get older inattentive sorry as they get older inattentive adhd also looks like that kind of disorganized person somebody who's always running late always missing deadlines procrastinates all the time seems to lack motivation what people call a lazy person and the reason why these conversations are important is because there's so much stigma attached to neurotypical to neurodivergent people there is so much stigma attached to neurodivergent people they are branded lazy they are branded you know you're not really ambitious the hyperactive type especially the children are branded as naughty or bad children yet they are unwell so the importance of having these conversations is to understand that people's minds work differently they work differently and these labels that we put on people are not helping they are not helping so that is the adhd spectrum that is how adhd looks like in adulthood i'd like to note that sometimes adhd can look like addictions because remember with adhd there's this restlessness there's this excessive energy and you need to burn it out so some people get into gambling some people get into addictions addictions food or or alcohol so it can it can manifest in that way and that's why i always say that sometimes when you're presented or you see somebody being an alcoholic sometimes there is something else happening beneath the alcoholism maybe there is adhd 
So what next? How do we treat children with ADHD or even adults with ADHD? Again, it's the most important thing is to identify. Is to identify. And uh, as parents or even as clinicians, I think we need to have a, an acceptance that these neuro, neurodivergent children are not, there's nothing wrong with them. So let's not be in denial to say, okay, I think my child could have something going on. Let me go get an assessment. Because what we see is parents being in so much denial and the child's never getting the help that they need. So identifying and doing the assessments and what's that, once that's done, we need to kind of make a decision as to whether do we treat this or do we not treat this. So before I get into the questions that you sent in, because I did get some questions from my social media about ADHD and autism, let me just say that when you're seeing a neurodivergent person, either a child or an adult, what you're seeing is just, I want you to look, to imagine an iceberg. I want you to imagine an iceberg, right? And the tip of the iceberg is what you're seeing. That 10%, you know, the hyper, the hyperactivity or the inattention, what you're seeing is only 10%. There is a huge 90% of distress that you're not seeing. These conditions cause people and children a lot of distress. And so sometimes I get parents especially asking me, is it important to treat this condition I mean like how why should this child be on medication and I usually like to have a conversation with them because what you're seeing is just the 10% this child is in distress always forgetting things is not fun not being able to sit in class is not fun because you tend to get more punished not being able to shut down so that you can fall asleep is difficult for a child so let's also not have stigma in terms of get going in with medication because they genuinely sometimes make life better for the child or for the adult. So I got a few questions from you, my viewers, my followers on social media on neurodivergence, and I'd like to answer them very, very quickly because some of them I have touched on them in the episode. Once again, if you're not following me on Instagram, how will you get to ask me a question? So please follow me. My handle is Dr. Underscore Vundi. We'll dive right into it. Number one is ADHD part of the spectrum. I think I already addressed it. Yes, but I think the question is, the, you know, there are different spectrums. There's the ADHD and the autism spectrum. How early can neurodivergence be detected? Wonderful question. For autism, we usually see and detect these cases at around two years of age because that's the time when they are starting to talk, to communicate, to play with other children. So at around two years of age. With ADHD, sometimes it's much later. As I mentioned, sometimes we completely, um, we see it in childhood sometimes if it's very severe. Sometimes we can only end up seeing it in adulthood. So it really, really depends with ADHD. Number three, how does comorbid ADHD and autism look like? I think I touched on this earlier. There is no clear picture of what a, the, the two conditions look like together. As we said, it's a spectrum. But basically, I want you to picture all the symptoms of autism and all the symptoms of ADHD. And sometimes they can co-occur. So if you have a child with autism and they have communication problems and they have stimming issues, remember the repetitive movements, 
And then now you also have maybe hyperactivity. So sometimes you have two symptoms of ADHD and one of autism. So it's kind of like a blend, not really one typical picture of how the two look like. Right, moving on. Is twitching of the eye in an infant a sign of autism? Yes, it is. So remember when we talked about um, repetitive movements and ticks. Ticks are repetitive movements. It can be even a repetitive word that they say, uh, what we call echolalia. They can keep saying the same thing or producing the same sound over and over again. So that repetition is a very big sign of autism. And sometimes this you can find an autistic child doing the same thing over and over again let's say we are making legos we'll make a tower and then remove it and then we do it again and remove it and do it again and remove it and this can go on for hours and if you try to interfere with repetitive behavior it's very frustrating for the child but to answer your question ticks involuntary movements and things like twitching can be a sign of autism how do you get a diagnosis? The diagnosis of any neurodivergence should be made by a qualified professional, preferably a psychiatrist, a psychologist, in the case of children, a pediatrician, or one who has specialized in neurodevelopmental disorders. We do have these people in Kenya. So please do your research. If you want, get a second, a third, a fourth opinion. That's how you get a diagnosis. Please don't self diagnose so I think the other question is what are the symptoms of ADHD I have answered that and we have one last question here that's very interesting does the current setup of social media short form of content play a role in developing ADHD this is a wonderful question what they are asking is you know social media things like TikTok they're designed to give you a dopamine hit, a quick dopamine hit, you know, video after video. And, you know, it's like short, the shorter the videos are getting is our attention span getting shorter and shorter and shorter. What I'd like to say to this question is I don't believe social media is producing ADHD, but I do believe that it's affecting our attention span. We find that nowadays, even this video, I'm sure by this point, you're just like, You've probably stopped once or twice to do something else, to, to break the monotony of one continuous thing. I've seen students who are struggling with one-hour classes and two-hour lectures. So it is interfering with our attention, but I don't believe that it's producing ADHD. So guys, thank you so much for the questions. I do believe I've answered all of them. I hope I've answered them to your liking as best as I can. And that brings us to the end of our neurodivergence ep episode. But as I said, this is not the end. We have a little bit more. There's more content with the whole neurodivergence um, series. So please, I hope you're subscribed so that you can get notified when that comes up. And that's it, guys. Thank you so much for making it to the end of this video. I would like to remind you to share this with someone who you think needs to hear this. And I will see you next time in the next video. Bye, guys.